What's up, everybody? Um, I know that we just released an episode a week ago, but we were backed up. Uh, we had some downtime before, and I just want to get uh, the rest of these Evo interviews out there before it gets too old. Um, and so we have two more interviews. Uh, we're going to have this one with Mark Mann, and then I'll be announcing uh, the next guest very soon here. And then after that, we'll be all done with everything that we've had in the pipe, and we'll just start... Uh, with some fresh interviews over here. I already have a few guests lined up I'm going to be talking to. Um, so again, this was all done before the apocalypse, uh, but I think it's still very timely, and it's kind of cool to see uh, you know, an interview from one of the last events that was able to happen uh, at Evo Tokyo, of course, as you guys probably heard. Uh, no, no live Evo, no event for that this year. So hopefully stuff gets better pretty soon. Uh, quick announcements before we go into the interview. Um, I'm streaming on Twitch now. If you guys want to hang out with me there, uh, go to twitch.tv forward slash TV. I'm usually streaming, I mean, this is usually uh, around Monday and Thursday, usually starting around 1 p.m. Um, there are days I might hop on and stream a little bit extra. It depends. My schedule is, is it sort of revolves around, uh, at least for streaming, when I'm not casting. Uh, and some of my casting work is slowing down with ASL finishing up. And so, um, yeah, I might be squeezing some extra days on there. I've been laddering a bunch in StarCraft. It's been so fun to be back uh, now that my hands are working and I'm no longer suffering from that RSI injury. Uh, we got some cool emotes, too, if you guys want to sub. Uh, I am considering doing other games, but right now I'm just mostly grinding in StarCraft. So maybe there'll be some other stuff uh, down the road we can do. And, of course, as I always say, uh, if you like this podcast, if it means a lot to you, uh, we appreciate it if you do support us at, uh, on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash tasteless podcast. Uh, the money there goes to pay to make the podcast and support the people that also help me. Um, so this interview was done with Mark Mann, who was also one of the people that set me up to be able to get into Evo and wander around and, and meet all these other awesome people that I got to talk to. And some of them, of course, I got to interview um, he's a hugely influential guy. I've known him, like not well, but we've known of each other for a long time. But this was the first time I really got to sit down and actually talk to him. Um, super cool guy. I really appreciate him hooking me up uh, this Evo. And uh, without further ado, here is the episode. <clears throat> so this will, this will go for about like uh, maybe 40 minutes or more. Yeah. And then so you're cranking out episodes this weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's awesome. You guys are like my Pokemon. Like, I'm like trying to just fucking catch, <laughs> catch you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. Um, Who else did you get? I'm just curious. I have gotten um, Ultra Chen. Nice. I got Anakin. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. Yeah. And then um, Mr. Wizard, of course. And then, uh, oh, Vicky Kitty. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Wizard is a rare one because he usually doesn't do interviews. I think the interview I did with him was the best one I've done. Oh, really? I was really happy with it. Really? That. Okay. Hopefully yeah. he didn't say anything stupid because I usually have to cover his, his, his steps. <laughs> no, man. Put he, that on the podcast. <laughs> no, no he, he he did a really good job. Um, yeah, I think it's because I'm trying to do more of like an abstract thing. Like, you know, so many people are focused on like, why is this game not here? Like, you know, oh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. for me, I was like, how do you organize an event? Okay. And he's like, he's like totally into talking about it. He's like, oh, man, I'm like, trying to get a convention hall. And all. So it went really well. Cool. Um, Anyways, let's just go ahead and start. If you see me checking my phone, I'm not bored. I'm just making, I'm Make trying sure. to gauge how long I've been talking for. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, I feel like a lot of people know about you, know who you are, uh, have seen your casting or seen you working at events, but I think most people don't know exactly what you do. So, like, just to start this whole thing off, what is your job? 
or jobs. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, that's by design. I, 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 for the longest time, um, I was working with Madcats as one of their product managers, and then eventually became their community and sponsorship manager. Uh, and I think that's really the last of what people knew, like what I did career-wise. That's true for me, actually. Uh, oh, cool. As far All right. As how, cool. How so I understand everything's it's consistent. Working. Yeah. It's consistent then. So, uh, <laughs> Madcats went uh, under. A lot of people know they actually went under. They they they're back now recently, but it's a different company. Uh, I got laid off in uh, early 2016, and uh, <clears throat> that was a tough time because it was well. It was a tough time for like a day. Oh, really? <laughs> for a day. And the next day I got like job offers everywhere. But for, for that one day, I remember thinking about it. I knew it was coming because, you know, the, the company hasn't been doing too well financially. And then we yeah. obviously have like all this internal data. Uh, so we knew there were, there were some things that were going to change. So uh, after that day, um, I ended up doing just deciding, making the decision for myself that I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to do me. I'm going to do as much work as I can within the gaming industry and see where I can take this. I've never been my own boss. So I decided, you know what, uh, I'm going to start my own company and I'm going to take it where I can. And uh, that was 2016. So we're in 2020 now. And now I probably have nine different specific jobs that I, I manage. So yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot. And I could, I guess just to talk a little bit about it. So I'm in charge of uh, global business development for the Evo brand, uh, for Evo Championship Series, so for Triple Perfect. Uh, my bo- I report to Mr. Wizard, who I believe you talked to just recently. Yeah, just earlier he, today. He's yeah. my boss, but he um, he's pretty hands-off on what I do. He was the first person I talked to after I got laid off at Mad Cats, and he made the decision and i like to call it the best business decision he's ever made is to hire me full-time <laughs> to help you know help form the business for evo um if, you know a lot of people might not uh recall but maybe in 2016 when that evo uh came around it was kind of a transition year you know we were we've been in vegas for you know 10 years at that point and evo has always been a tournament a competition but it never really had like a convention aspect it never really had anything to do other than play in the tournament games and that kind of started changing in 2016 moving forward, where now Evo is more of a spectacle. Aside from being a tournament, it's always going to be a tournament first and foremost. But now we have reveals from different companies. They kind of treat it like, you know, their celebration. They want to talk about uh, new games all the time. And they also really want to <laughs> kind of treat it as a fan festival. And that's kind of what we've transformed Evo to is working with the publishers and developers that kind of create these games that we love and really making a platform for them to directly engage with the fans and i think that's uh one of the the key things that myself and the team has brought once joining evo that we really kind of took it to the next level and it's been growing ever since we've seen insane amounts of growth and i'm that's one of the things i'm most proud of so that's one of my jobs that's probably the job uh i put more of my my personal time into just because i like it so much uh, I do product development still. I still work on uh, creating Arcade 6. I created Arcade 6 with Mad Cats and helped design. Uh, you've, got a and massive, them. you've got a massive collection. Of I Arcade have the biggest 6. collection in the world. And if anyone okay, can prove true, me right? wrong, if anyone can prove me wrong, <laughs> I would love to see their collection, but I don't think so. I have like, last I counted. You're my, you're my favorite Instagram. Person, oh really? Man. I love I love watching the shit that you're posting on there, man. You always are buying it, cool shit. It's, I, it's kind of weird because like I focus on like, you know, stuff that i love just collecting yeah. stuff right yeah. so i don't care who's seeing it i just post it up there i post maybe sometimes i have spurts where i just post a bunch of stuff a day but it's arcade sticks yeah. food video games uh art sneakers but uh yeah I, I i make arcade sticks i make video game controllers i still do that uh, i currently work with razor as uh kind of one of the heads of their their fighting game stuff uh community products so i work on that so i've released a few arcade sticks with razor since my time with mad cats but i've also Worked with Victrix, PDP, uh, Hori, all anyone that's in the fighting game um, industry, 
or in the industry of fighting games and competitive games, I've helped make a controller in some aspects. So chances are, if you have an arcade stick and you're playing video games at home, I probably touched that in some way. How did you get into the, um, I guess we can you call it peripheral business? Like how did how did how did you end up working on that? Oh, and Mad Cat. So that was a big accident. Yeah. You know, Mad Cat says in the past has never had a good name. Mad Cats, so for, there's, because there's people that are going to be younger than us listening to this, but Mad oh, Cats, yeah. the, the, the game controller is what I go to initially, but that was like the controller that when you went to your friend's house and they had like the actual like Sega controller. Yeah, the first or, party controller, yeah, right? Yeah, the first part, yeah. The, but then you had to use their <laughs> second thing and then, you know, it was never as good. It was, yeah. it was kind of notorious for being um, not as quality, but cheaper and more affordable. Yeah, it's the one that you didn't want to use, right? Right. So, right. Mad Cats had this, this, this. I guess that was what they were known for: making cheap controllers that weren't as as reliable as maybe the first party brands. But you know, Mad Cats made the conscious decision, probably in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, to start creating high quality products at a higher price point. This was like right, a little bit before Street Fighter Four, right before Street out, Fighter Four. Right? I, yeah. I remember. Um, I'm I'm a huge fan of Street Fighter Four when that came out. That I was remember, like what yeah. got me through waiting for fucking starcraft 2 to finally come out because like, yeah. that was when i finally got to kind of get my career moving forward but um i remember following in the news the mad cats was making a controller and a lot of people were rolling their eyes yeah me too but, <laughs> but then then it, you know i think it was listening to gutex he was like no it's good they did a good job making this stick yeah that, those see that that was like uh when mad cats started changing its image so it it kind of started i want to credit the street fighter uh, range of products and you know Thanks to the trust of the people at Capcom, you know, Seth Killian was there at the time. Yeah. And I have lots of love for Seth. You know, he's one of the original members of the EVO board that really kind of helped form what EVO was and kind of competitive fighting games uh, along the U.S. But uh, he I've, has always been an inspiration for me. And he had enough trust in me because we, me and him, or him and I were really big on to... I guess the tech behind uh, peripherals and just you yeah. know pe- people making their own custom arcade sticks and controllers <laughs> and stuff like that. So uh, we, him and I, we had a lot of back and forth, especially before the product was officially announced. And we worked very closely with Seth Killian uh, to kind of make sure that we created a product that the community would stand behind. And it kind of blew up more than we expected. We in it, it, we launched the arcade sticks with Mad Cats, and it's immediately sold out. And it yeah. started getting kind of crazy where you know you would see these things on ebay there it's a 200 it's a 150 arcade stick but you see it reselling for like 400 500 and we're like wow we're we're onto something because these guys are getting kind of crazy they want to be able to buy not just one of these arcade sticks they want to buy two or three so they can play with their friends yeah and it kind of became its own thing where madcast started releasing you know more and more iterations different limited editions but we had to do it in a tasteful way so that kind of became a sub-business that i i, I became in charge of within madcats so it when it comes to making equipment, and I mean, it, it's always been a fascinating thing, right? Because there's always bells and whistles that they put onto the gear. Yeah. But there is something to using like a really high quality product. What is, in your opinion, if you're making a fighting game stick, like what is, what is the most challenging part? Is is it trying to distinguish yourself from other, um, uh, other people making that that product, or is it, is it trying to get the right materials, or, or is it an aesthetic thing? It's, it's it's a lot of things. So. For different people, right? There was never really a standard, I would say, until maybe when Street Fighter Four came out and when the Mad Cats products came out. Yeah. We really wanted to match what the arcade spec was, so we went with the you know the Vulix layout, the Sanwa parts. Um, and before that, you know, it was really hard to get Japanese style arcade sticks uh, in the U.S. A lot of people had you know custom American style uh, bat top arcade sticks, hat parts. Um, they had all kinds of crazy sticks that they imported from Japan. Nothing that was really 
standardized, but it wasn't until Mad Cats kind of stepped to the scene that it kind of changed the entire industry where companies like Hori, uh, companies like even, you know, PDP or Pelican at the time, they started paying attention to the Japanese aspect or the Japanese arcade aspect, and they started more kind of catering towards what the community or the fighting game community would want. And that kind of changed everything. So it was a it was an interesting time because me I was a, a big geek about that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it was just like me geeking out and creating stuff that I wanted to do personally, and it ended up you know being very successful. Like it it it, it didn't make a lot of money for Mad Cats. You know, fighting games just not as big as other games. You know, there uh, Street Fighter Four was probably the last big one that we really had on the community level where it would see such a boom where it would bring in new people. Uh, since then, you know, we've seen a lot of games sell maybe a million or two million copies, but there really hasn't been such a huge boom. But I got to give a shout out to Mortal Kombat because they, they always sell a lot. And I think a lot of that comes with uh, nostalgia. And that's what Street Fighter 4 kind of brought yeah. to the mix. The, I, nostalgia. Think, I think with Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, those are the two games that are actually ingrained in like all of our culture, yeah. you know? Yep. Fatalities and, and just... I mean, there's so many parts of Street Fighter that are there. <laughs> Did you grow up going to arcades? Oh, yeah. As a yeah, kid? yeah. I was an arcade kid, so I was born in 82. And uh, I I spent a lot of my weekends or a lot of my days after school going to the arcades or going to the malls, going to convenience stores. Convenience stores used to have arcade machines. Yeah. And that was the good old days. It was, it's actually, it kind of makes me depressed because I, I loved going to local arcades. Yeah. And I'm from Kansas City, but even in Kansas City, there was like maybe three or four arcades that you could you could roll into and just spend a whole day playing it. Now um, there's like none. You'd be none. lucky to find one. Yeah. I mean, even in Asia, you know, in, in, in Korea, I'm sure you've seen there's there's always a bunch of arcades. But for certain fighting games, like maybe Street Fighter wasn't the biggest, but you'd always have a place to play King of Fighters yeah, or Tekken. There's nothing worse than going to the, an arcade and they have the wrong fucking games. You know, when you walk in, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. You, you, you like make Dave the round. Busters in America? You're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. These games are terrible. Yeah. You know, like, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I it's... So, so you, you sorry, I, I'm very passionate about this because every time I go to any place, um, if there's an arcade, I want to step inside and be like, "What games are here? Take a look, right? You yeah, might as well yeah. make the rounds and be like, "Okay, they got one of those. I I know where I'm going to spend my extra time." Yeah. So, um, what games did you play in arcades besides fighting games? Besides fighting games, yeah. oh, I love the side uh, the side scrolling beat 'em up game. So, like Simpsons yeah. the arcade game, X Men the six player arcade game, yeah. uh, Sunset Riders was a big one that I played over and over. Uh, Double Dragon, uh, Final Fight, all those games yeah. that the side-scrolling beat 'em ups uh, are, were something that I really got into. And obviously, you were playing against the computer, really trying to progress further in the game. Yeah. But then when I saw Street Fighter Two for the first time, and I saw you were playing against the guy next to you, that blew my mind. I was still, I was still fairly young at the time. I think I was like ten years old when I first saw that. W- w- was that intimidating for you, like trying to compete against yeah, other people? It definitely was because. I was ten years old, but there yeah. were a lot, the the kids that were playing or the the teenagers that were playing. They were a lot older than me, so yeah. it was a bit intimidating at the time. But um, the cool part was these guys were like you know kind of teaching each other the moves and how to do things right. And that's something that I never experienced is the the social aspect of playing in yeah. arcades. And I think uh, that's really what made me uh, remember and love it growing up as a kid. Yeah, when I was um, really young, I got into rhythm games. Oh, uh, yeah. Nice. We this is very random, especially for Kansas, but we had Beat Mania. Okay. Uh, in the arcade, and so I liked doing that. But I would always see people playing Marvel vs. Capcom too, and I remember specifically just asking an older guy, like, "Can you just show me?" Like, I don't. I'm. It's. It was too intimidating to just like try to fake it, uh-huh. and I didn't have the game at home. And when you're that young, you're always like beholden to. Like what your parents will buy for you, or you know what I mean, yeah. and you you get what you get, right? You get what you get, yeah. right? Like you better hope they know what they're doing on Christmas, because <laughs> yep. otherwise you're screwed. Um, but yeah, asking for some for some guidance on that, and so you took 
that um, experience in, in, in fighting games? And then how are you here now? I mean, was it just you wanted to, you didn't want to get a normal job or, or were you passionate about peripherals or, or what? I thought about it for a long time. You know, I, di- I didn't even want the job at Mad Guys because, you know, because of the the brand, the I was kind of scared. At the time. Yeah, the stigma yeah. at the time. I was like, man, I don't want to tell people I work for Mad Cats. Yeah. So I, I started working for them just because, I you know, I needed to make money. I, I was a single father at the time. I had a, oh. a, a child very early on. Uh, Boy, when I was uh, a girl. So I have a daughter now. She's 18 years old. So it kind of tells you my age. When I was 19 years old, <laughs> I had a kid. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to school, but I'm not making enough money to make ends meet. I have to yeah. be able to support my family. So I decided to, you know, pursue a job with the local company, Mad Cats, which was in yeah. San Diego. And even though I didn't like the idea of working for them, um, it was like the lesser of two evils for me. You know, it's either go work for Sony Computer Entertainment and be a game tester. And what everyone told me is like, if you start testing games, you're going to start thinking about games differently. You might not enjoy them as much. I've, and heard, I, I've actually heard that. I don't want that to happen. I've heard that before. Yeah, I never yeah. want to hate video games. I love video games. Yeah. So I never wanted to do that. So I ended up going <laughs> with Mad Cats. Like, I could hate controllers. I'm fine with hating controllers. Yeah, yeah. The first party controller is always going to be good. So I'll hate the third party controllers. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, it just ended up transforming and snowballing into this thing where... One day, someone asked me, rest, rest in peace, this, is, this guy was the guy that really taught me the, the peripheral business. He was my old boss. He uh, asked me if I knew anything about fighting games. And I was like, shut the fuck up. I know everything yeah. about fighting games. <laughs> and then I ended up schooling him in one day on Arcade 6, kind of showing him a l- little bits and pieces of my collection. And then um, he asked me to join the team to help create the Street Fighter 4 stuff. Really? Yes. Right then and there. He said he Googled me and he saw me all over the Shore Yukon forums talking about arcade sticks. So, <laughs> so it quite. was easy for him to convince them. So and then like a few months later I was in charge of all the Street Fighter stuff. So how much are you on the road now? Uh I travel a lot. I'm sure you've had your experiences with travel, but yeah. I, I hate to say and I've this. Had my, I've had my limits as well, where I'm just like, this is too much. For the past ten years, uh, I probably travel anywhere between forty to 50, forty I would say forty to forty five weekends out of the year. It's a lot. <sighs> So I, I rarely get to see my family. I, re- I, I get dumped all the time. I yeah. can never hold a relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I travel a lot. for, And that's usually for work. Usually yeah. for work. But uh, I mean, it's fighting games don't stop. And fighting games yeah. is something that I really love. So uh, there's some times where, you know, there's peak season and there's a little bit of a lull, you know, in the end of the year before the new tours start and stuff like that. But I mean, there's always stuff to do. I mean, now we have Evo Japan in January. So I always, <laughs> I'm always doing something. I'm always in Japan. I'm here once or twice a month. What is the hardest, what is the hardest part about traveling constantly? For me, I don't think traveling is, 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 is hard at all. I'm used to it. So okay, for me, it's just adapted. like, I'm, I'm very used to it. Uh, the hard part is uh, keeping a, a, a nice and honest communication and relationship with my family and friends. Yeah, yeah. And that's very hard because I'll see them, like, you know, once every now and then. I mean, my daughter, like, I feel like she doesn't even know me as well other than when I'm at home. And I'm only at home, like, maybe I'm during there during the week. Yeah. But I'm never there, like, I guess when she probably wants me to be there. Right, Which is right. rough, but, I mean, it's it's the balance. Like, do you want your family to have a good living or yeah. do you want to... Yeah, I, I chose that. I wanted to make sure that they were taken care of. Uh, do you feel like you're a person that is okay then with with hotels in general i know i i I always feel like there's two people with traveling there's people that are really able to adapt to the hotel lifestyle and then people that really don't like it yeah i'm totally i'm i'm fine i'm fine with hotels yeah i'm i'm totally used to it uh i have my my routines i love 
you know, I, I don't mind traveling at all. It's like, it's just another process, I guess, step step that I need to do to get the job done or to go to meetings and stuff like that. So um, doing an event like, like Evo, obviously this is such a big undertaking. Um, do you ever find yourself getting like stressed out or sick before events or do events themselves stress you? Mm. Um, I was talking about this a little bit with Mr. Wizard, but like, event coordinator is actually among the most stressful jobs yeah, in, you in know, the world. You know, <laughs> I, I would say no. You know, I actually yeah. work with a very strong team, you know, whether it's on the production t- side to make sure, you know, sponsors and, and partners are happy or just on the biz dev side. I have a very strong team that I work with, so I got to give a lot of love to them. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to travel like this if my teams that I work with weren't as good because I can just actually go out, help facilitate and create new opportunities in meetings and bring it back to them and ask them to execute. So yeah. we have a well-oiled machine. And if it was just me and maybe Mr. Wizard, it probably wouldn't happen. But right. we have a strong backing of a just you know a team mindset that we're able to kind of execute and that's how it been how, how it's been for the past few years so uh i'm very lucky in that regard and i don't I, I think that's the the beauty of it you know we're creating a new path that's really not a normal like you don't go to school for this kind of stuff right right this is something that you just go based on feel and if you can bring your colleagues your friends guys that kind of grew up with uh you kind of playing these video games and take it to a level where they can actually live off of it I think it's a beautiful thing, man. This is a very odd industry because yeah. like, I'll have people ask me like what it's like to get into this, and honestly, I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I, I, I'm not. The, even the people that I'll try to get advice from, this is more when I was younger, but like I think that's not, that's not right. You know what I mean? You don't know, but is it scary for you at times working in esports? Is is it, is it? Do you like the the fact that it's so? There is no handbook for this. Yeah, well, I mean, everyone's kind of forging their own path. And, yeah. you know, it's crazy because we've seen many esports companies or companies within esports come and go. Yes. It's, there's so many. Yes. I, I think I'm pretty sure we're in the hundreds, if not the thousands by now. I think we're at the point, too, where there was a period where all the companies are trying to take control of their esports. And it seems like now we're watching that recede. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Like, I, I would definitely down. agree. Yeah. I know PUBG Corp is backing down on um, PUBG. Uh I don't know how true this is, but I've heard that Riot is going to be more hands-off with some of their future titles. Um, what is your take on uh, publishers and their desire for control or to try to um, navigate where their eSport goes? Well, see, that's the thing. is like I feel like for a lot of these publishers <clears throat> and developers, they're also, they also don't have a guidebook. They see yeah. what other companies are doing, so they're trying to create something. They're trying to be first to market, right? They're trying to yeah. really create something that they hope is going to be uh, something that makes money for them, right? Right. And nine times out of ten, it doesn't. Yeah, it's. I don't think people appreciate this, but that the idea of a video game company becoming uh, a TV production company slash sports management, uh, I don't know, whatever the fuck you call it, they they would run like the NFL basically. Yeah. That is not a natural transition, and it's insane to see these companies try to do it and the mistakes they make and um. And the amount of turnover, the amount of people that you know that were working for them one year, and then the next year they're working for another company. Yeah, or or, or, or these, um, you know, for instance, now um, they've been trying to get a lot of former sports, uh, like TV network executive people, to come on board, and that hasn't seemed to have been successful. And that they're really, even if you ran a sports network, this isn't exactly the same thing as esports. Um, it, when you're out here 
doing an event like this, uh, one thing that's unique is that there's all these different publishers. What is it like doing an event where you have to deal with all these different companies? They all have they all have totally different expectations out of you, right? I'm yeah. sure they all want their game to be the last game of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you manage that? Uh, it's very complicated. So one of the things that Evo prides itself in, and uh, I think maybe this is unique for a lot of fighting game events, is it's all about the community first. Yeah. So we tend to you know cater to the community that is actually showing up for the event right. and that's actually going to be there. And that kind of uh, overrules for us what the publisher or what the developer will want. And it's it's an easy, I don't want to call it a scapegoat kind of uh, decision, but it's for us, we have to serve the community that's really taking us to where we are right now. Right. We didn't always have publisher developer support. This didn't happen until I would say maybe the last you know seven to 10 years. But for, before that period, was it a little bit weirder? Oh yeah, it was I definitely like a lot past, weirder. Oh I mean, yeah. The history with Blizzard and StarCraft of Korea is, is really fascinating because they just... I mean, basically illegally put the game on TV <laughs> and, you know, just didn't answer emails. And uh, I understand Blizzard being upset by it, but, um, yeah, it's it, it's never been a thing that organically the company decided to put it on TV. It's yeah. always happened independently. It's always happened through the fans and always happened through the community first. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> do you think, like, honestly, like, this is an honest question to anyone. Do you think Capcom Pro Tour would be where it's at if it not for events like Evo or CEO or Combo Breaker? no. no. It's it's something obviously that was inspired by what the community was already doing, right. and that's the thing is like when a corporation will try to support their game, and you know, as you support in quotation marks, are they really trying to support or are they trying to take advantage of the fact that this is a potential market where they can profit off of and take control over? Kind of like what we've seen with other games, right? Yeah. yeah. So having to kind of maintain that balance is going to be very difficult for any company because, like you said, there's no guidebook, there's no advice you can give to a company that really. Uh, will ensure victory or ensure that they're going to make money at the end of the day. Is um, is there ever a, 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 a... How do I say this correctly? You know, there's trends with all these gaming companies. Yeah. Right? I mean, um, you'll see this in game development where like a couple of years ago, everything was a fucking zombie game. Zombie <laughs> you, game. It was like, you oh, zombie now we got to go mobile. Now yes. we have to make a phone Everything's got to be on a phone. Yeah, yeah. The, the mobile thing. Um, it, are, are there trends that you see company fighting game or not fighting game um uh company that you find to be problematic like they're they're going down the wrong path uh, absolutely absolutely and i don't yeah. want to put a particular company on blast okay but sometimes uh sometimes i see it so for me for uh, the problem with a lot of fighting games is they want to grow their install base right yeah. usually the best time to do that is at the launch of the game you know within the, within the shelf life within the first three months where it's relevant where you can actually make the most money where you can yeah. put the game out there and not have to discount it just to be able to push and sell copies so the launch of the game is so compelling you have to make sure there's a lot of tick boxes now that that companies have to think about they have to have a good single player experience they have to good have maybe a tutorial that teaches people how to play the yeah, game yeah. they have to have some type of esports component where someone can go on youtube or on twitch and be able to watch oh this is how you're supposed to play that game right. there's so many things that you know kind of have to fall into place for a game to just succeed off the bat that it makes it very very difficult for at least a lot of these smaller games and smaller um, publishers and developers to kind of make their game seem like it's on the level of a street fighter or a tekken and stuff like that so i think that's a very a very toxic market is to yep. kind of treat like like hey we're gonna be the next street fighter you know you're definitely not gonna be the next street yeah, fighter yeah. we're gonna what, be the next smash brothers not gonna happen yeah well one of the weird things too is that um most games that became successful at esports they were not intended no it was an esports. accident it was an accident it's luck it, it 
Yeah, I'll like, tell you, this industry is luck. Like, if you if you talk to um, the guys, I mean, I literally I've talked to the guys at Blizzard, and they, and they would say like when they went to create and just saw people playing the game this fast and like picking up a reaver and a shuttle and dropping it mm-hmm. and, and, and letting it dodge shots, they that oh we didn't even it was intended. Yeah, they're like oh my god, we never even. I mean, StarCraft was supposed to be almost like a little bit of a city builder game in a way, you know, and it was never supposed to be. I mean, even the hotkeys on the keyboard, it they weren't gamified. It was just the first letter. You want to make an overlord, it's O. It's on the right side of the keyboard. <laughs> you know, you want to make a drone, it's D. And then you see people with their left hand inputting um, combinations on a keyboard like it's a gamepad. Um, Smash Brothers was a party game. Um, I think Street Fighter, they... Compos and Street Fighter were a glitch initially from a lot of the designers. They were like, this wasn't intended. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all these games... I mean, Counter-Strike is a weird mod of Half-Life, you know? And um, it turned... I mean, Dota is like a mod. Dota's a mod of Warcraft 3. Everything is is, is unintended um, to be competitive. And and also, um, the fact that bugs are actually, this is going to sound weird, they're actually features in the game. They're actually things that at times enhance the game. They're blessings. Yeah, yeah. Um... But now we're in an era where, I mean, let's take Overwatch as an example. I know I've been kind of hard on that in this podcast, but you know that's the one that I think a lot of people are looking at. They announced the esports program. Yeah, a lot of money behind it. A lot of money, and 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 look, Team Fortress Classic never organically uh, was was pushed like an esport. I mean, th- th- there's always been these team shooting games. They're very similar to MOBAs in a lot of ways with the abilities. Um, and, and the goals that you're trying to accomplish through the game. But, um, yeah, it, it, people are now announcing esports for games that nobody's asking for. Yeah. Um, You'll see an esports league for a game that you didn't even know was out yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, World of Tanks had a big push. I actually casted some World of Tanks. Uh, and I had fun doing it. But I, I remember when they announced it, I thought, yeah, but, I mean, is this even... There isn't a... a did anyone a, ask for this? Yeah, did anybody <laughs> ask for this? Yeah. This is so strange. Um yeah, I mean, is, is are things going to backfire for a lot of these companies if everybody is trying to be an eSport all the time? And It already has. I feel like yeah. it already has. I mean, we're seeing the shift. We're seeing a paradigm shift in a lot of the way that, you know, leagues work, the way that franchising is working now for yeah. a lot of things. And it's uh, I think it's setting a precedence where it's just going to turn away a lot of people. And it's unfortunate, but I mean, I think, you know, for me, in my opinion, gaming is going to be eternal. People are always going to be looking to play video games the same, same. and figure out when the next competitive bug is going to be. Like whether it's, you know, playing a fighting game, whether it's playing a strategy game or whether it's playing even a board game online with people. People are always going to find ways to, you know, get their fix. Yeah. So it's just unfortunate that, you know, things like these and it's a, this is a real thing now. Trying to esportsify a game will turn away a lot of people. I checked Twitter today. And I don't know this game, so maybe maybe it's fucking awesome. But Farm Simulator, there was a tournament, and there's yeah. people there, and I, I I don't know this. And game their at all. esports venue and their production <clears throat> is out of out of control. It's insane. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I actually want to go check it out now because I, I you know I would be like everybody else and joke about this, but then I saw there was an audience, and I'm like, okay, well maybe yeah, there's look, something that, that, here. It looks like there's more people there than at Evo Japan right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's crazy to me. Like just um, I don't know how how companies are are kind of jumping on this. Do you feel like? As, as somebody from fighting games, yeah, where there's not as much glitz and glamour uh, in a way, mm-hmm. um, do you feel like fighting games are at times behind or ahead of companies that are putting so much money into this? There's so much high production. I mean, e- Evo, as an example, is very bare bones. I mean, e- Evo, I think, is, is one of the uh, events that 
actually proves that people do just want to watch people play games. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was... Um, do you remember G4 TV? Oh, yeah. I was a big fan. I was on G4 TV a few times. What? I loved... I was oh, on the I arena got... show, you know, that where they had the competition yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But I only went on there because I asked, like, hey, if you put fighting games on there, we'll play on it. Oh, my God. That's yeah. so crazy. I love that. I love that channel for what it was. Because there was nothing on TV. But, it, like but they the also time. shied away from games a little bit yeah like, they, they did more of the tech tv stuff yeah yeah the, the, there was always this assumption that like well we can't just put a fucking game on tv the whole time um but excuse me um but a lot of people have um uh, you know you look at evo as an example no this is proof that we don't need necessarily a ton of b-roll we don't need a smoke machine we don't need a, a laser show we don't need a band that opens beforehand mm-hmm. we we can have it stand on its own yeah um but at the same time there's no band. There's no light show. Is Evo ahead or behind? Just, just particularly speaking on behalf of Evo. Yeah. Um, I do not think we're behind. I think right. we are. Uh, we're in a position. Evo is at least. Where I hate to say it, this is not something that I'm happy about. Yeah. But we can kind of dictate the path of how a game will either live, or it'll run away to obscurity. Right. And right. I hate to say that because as a fighting game fan, I want to see fighting games do well. I want to see every game do well. But yeah. The fact of the matter is we only have as, this much time and a finite amount of time throughout a weekend where we can feature only a certain amount of games. We can't feature every single game. Yeah. And that's the difficult part is how do we balance that? <clears throat> how do we balance it in a way where it's going to keep the community happy, but also we have to make you know the publishers, developers, and sponsors happy in some way too. So I feel like we have a good control of that balance. And it's worked in a way where our event, viewership-wise, attendance-wise, competitor-wise, it's grown year over year for the past... I want to say 10 years. I mean, there's been some booms here and there where there would be a big fallout for a game, but I, I'd i like to attribute that to, you know, just people not wanting to play that game anymore. It's not it's not an Evo thing. It's This yeah. is more of a community thing. And that's why I value the community and the people that are uh, participating in these events so much is because, you know, they're putting their hard-earned money to actually go to an event. This is not like, I'm going to fire up the internet and play online. You go yeah. to an event and you actually have to be part of it. You are activating yourself as a member of the community to go out there and, you know, participate. And it's cool. Like, if you don't go to events and you just want to watch this kind of stuff, more power to you. But the, the real thing is, the goal of Evo, and especially broadcasting it, is we want people to be able to go up, get off their ass, go to an event, learn how to play these games, and fight just like everyone else. That competition is what I think sets us apart from a lot of the events where it might be show matches, right? Or it might be uh, another way to kind of sell DLC or whatever. We are, um, we're not one game. We're not one publisher. We're right. every game and every publisher. Are, and we welcome that at Evo. What about uh, Riot? They're making a fighting game. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, out of all the companies, um, and it pains me to say this because, you know, I'm a guy who does Blizzard games, but they seem to be the ones that have succeeded. Um, excuse me. Um, they are making a fighting game. Yeah. They have poured incredible amounts of money into League of Legends, and that is basically the biggest game in the world. Yep. Um, what is going to happen to the FGC uh, if they step in? Uh, it's going to do, I think, first and foremost, it's going to bring in a lot of new eyes, right? You know, right. Riot and uh, especially their IP. Uh, it's going to bring in a lot more eyes than what we're used to. And, you know, we're talking about a game that has, you know, hundreds of millions of players versus an event that has maybe, you know, anywhere between ten to 15,000 uh, players, right? right? So it's going to bring in a new, guess, level of scale that we're not used to. But at the end of the day, 
any game that's going to be at EVO or any game within the fighting game community, it's going to live or die by whether or not it's good. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to come down to that. If the game is good and people can enjoy it, people will support it. People will show up and compete for it. That's the metric we kind of actually use is the viewership if whether or not people are going to go actually enter and play in the tournaments. And it's not just EVO. It's all the tournaments throughout the year that lead up to EVO or that are beyond EVO. So uh, I don't think it's going to change too much, too many things. Uh, We obviously want to see it succeed. Um, I just hope it succeeds in a way where it can enhance the experience for a lot of people that go to events like EVO or that enjoy fighting games. Let's take another company like Nintendo. Yeah. I mean, they're... I think actually the polar opposite of Riot, right? I mean, and and they're um, obviously they're a, a, a culturally, I think probably the most influential video game company of all time. Oh yeah, um, but they have been slow to kind of get into esports. I don't want to put you on the spot, but there was a controller as a prize. I hope I get one for <laughs> <laughs> for first place yeah. in a three thousand plus person uh, event. Yeah, um, how is Nintendo doing? Uh, are they are they making a mistake? Are they slow to change? And also, uh, as well, you know, Japan it, it's been criticized before for kind of being too insular. Um, I love Japan, of course, and I love Japanese games, but they have a way of doing things, and um, they seem to be, particularly in Asia, they're the slowest to catch on with esports. Yeah, I, I would say. I mean, it's it's no secret Japan does not have uh, they don't have the best track record when it comes to esports. Uh, there's the the in Nintendo in particular, they they they've always been you know Nintendo would always do things their way, right? Right, and they like, they've succeeded usually. Yeah, I mean, usually, usually, yeah. okay, usually, Actually, almost always. Maybe not with the Virtual Boy, but like, yeah, well, everything else. That's that's up for debate too. I mean, yeah. everyone went to the CD based architecture for a lot of games, and then Nintendo was still doing cartridges during the N sixty four days, right? A lot of people might say that's a hit or miss, but you know, people have fond memories of it, right? Right. But it did not sell more than the PlayStation. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's there very was a true. shift. It, it actually left the door open for PlayStation to actually step in and kind of encroach on their grounds where they used to dominate. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I don't think they're trying to be esports. That's the thing. Is like they are supporting events, they're allowing events to use their titles. Yeah, but they don't see the end goal as you know. Well, first off, Smash Brothers Ultimate is like the best-selling fighting game of all time now. Yeah, that I it's, think that's been documented, it's huge. right? And it, it's it's a very well-made game. Oh yeah, you know. The thing is, they don't need to do that. It's more than just a fighting game to them. It's an experience. It's a, yeah. like they say, it's a party game as well. It can be whatever you want as long as you enjoy it. And I, I have to respect that, right? This is their their baby. And anyone right. that has something that they create, they shouldn't have anyone else dictate <clears throat> what it is. Yeah. They're the IP holders. They're the guys that create the game. I respect their decision. Uh, I wish they were like other companies where they would be willing to put some money into the event to kind of reward the players that are supporting their game. But yeah. that's, you know, that's per- their prerogative. Is it also a, a legal thing in Japan? Because it is. There's it, some very odd laws about uh, esports. There, or... there are a le- lot of very particular laws and it differs per uh, per prefecture, especially here, about what you can and can't do as far as issuing prize money. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we've been battling for the longest time yeah. uh, since the start of Evo Japan. You know, we want to have this as like kind of like as much as the Evo event as possible, we want to be able to charge an entry fee to these players. But because of the how the laws are structured here, we can't do that. We can't use those entry fees to kind of feed into the prize pool. Yeah. We actually have to have a set prize pool uh, from the outset and do things that way. And we have to also get approvals from the publishers and developers to kind of make this kind of stuff happen because we need a license to be able to run their game. So there's a lot more 
red tape, I would say, yeah. in Japan to be able to do an event at this scale or, or like an Evo scale event. So, um, yeah, and it's 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 actually a lot more tough here just because, like you said, there's all these companies that are gunning to have their game in the prime position, right? Yeah. They want to make sure that their game is shown in the best light, but you, there's only one best light. Right. So yeah. we got to kind of figure out how to balance that and whether or not they'll be playing friendly with the other companies that are going to be there. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation because no matter what, there has to be an order <laughs> for like which games go on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you find overall the companies tend to back off or uh, and kind of let you do your thing, or is, is there weird stuff where they don't want? Mr. Wizard, um, it, it, Mr. Wizard, the founder of Evo, yeah, one of the founders of Evo and the current president of Triple Perfect. He's one of the coolest dudes I know. And the only w- w- reason I say that is. If a, a company were to kind of clash heads with Evo, mm-hmm. um, we pro- we wouldn't want to deal with that kind of stuff. Like we wouldn't put up yeah, with that shit. Yeah. If they really want to kind of change what the community is doing and how we run events, it's it's something where we'll be like, thanks, but no thanks. We'll just do things our own way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's one thing I love about Evo is they again we put the, we try to put the community first yeah. every single time. How is how is it casting these events and how did you get into casting? Oh man! Because I remember I was uh, it was a couple of years ago, but just tuning in to a Tekken tournament that yeah. I was, uh, and I'm like, oh my god, it's Mark Man! He's casting. <laughs> this is crazy. Um, how did how did you get into that role? I've I've always been very passionate about Tekken. Yeah. It just I think it's one of those things that came naturally because I was part of the community, and you know, when this started for fighting games, you know, we just started uh, I guess more openly streaming and broadcasting these events probably yeah. around 2009 time frame yeah and that's when these roles had to be filled it's like okay who's going to talk about the game who, who's knowledgeable who can speak well on the mic there weren't that many people there still yeah. aren't that many people right now right yeah but yeah. it was the guys that were passionate about the game or that felt that they can really talk about the game um and i was just one of those at the at the start so i've been talking about tekken since like probably 2009 and doing that's really your stuff. game right it's, like, it's my favorite game yeah yeah it's yeah. my favorite game i mean i love all fighting games the game the fighting game that got me into into competitive games was Street Fighter, like many other people, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, Street Fighter, I actually probably owe most of my career to just because of the Street Fighter 4 stuff and all the stuff I did with Mad Cats. Yeah. But Tekken has always been my baby. And for the longest time, I did not want to work with Tekken. Like right now, I uh, with Tenno, I run the biz dev for Tenno. Um, we work very closely with Bandai Namco for a lot of their tours. We help run the Tekken World Tour, Soul Calibur World Tour, Dragon Ball Fighters Tour. Um, I work closer with Tekken than ever. Yeah, but I never wanted to do that. I never wanted to. What do you mean you never wanted to? Do I never that? wanted to get so close to it where I might hate it. Oh yeah, no that that's okay. That's a very interesting, yeah, point especially working with publishers and developers. No, it's it, it, it's very uh, my my view on gaming yeah. and, and the games is is not mystical anymore. Yeah. It's very it's very real. Or you know, I'm like, oh, that's the person in charge of this, or oh, this company actually is like that. Um, Luckily, I've been blessed by, you know, having good people on the Tekken project team and working at Bandai Namco where yeah. I never hated the game. So that's good. It's a good yeah. balance. I've always been able to work with good people over there. So my perception of the brand and the series and just uh, the community in general has always been a very positive one. And I, I, it's my love for the, the scene and the community and just seeing how much Tekken has grown over the past yeah. years. You know, Tekken was one of those games where people didn't care if it was on or being streamed before it was it was the game it always had people that were playing it yeah it was had yeah. people that were playing there was a very core community you know it, at evo it always have like you know 200 300 people but now we're at like 1800 almost 2000 people it's it's now the biggest <clears throat> excuse me it's now the biggest fighting game right it, i wouldn't say it's the biggest but it's the one that has the most growth over the the three years that it's been out yeah, on console yeah. and it's grown every single year and i i'm 
I owe, I'm a pessimistic kind of person. I don't want to set my expectations too high. I hope it grows this year. I'm not counting on it, but if it does, that'll be a nice blessing. It seems like Japanese games are making a big comeback. Oh, yeah, fighting games especially. Yeah, fighting games. um, The success of Dark Souls is another one that's been very interesting. For a while, it seemed like the U.S. companies were taking over, but it seems like we're having a bounce back where the Japanese games have really found their stride. Um, Even with Nintendo and and the Switch, I mean, they really really nailed it. Oh, the idea, the concept of just the Switch. I mean, I take my Switch everywhere. Of course. Yeah, I have a Switch. It's like right up on this desk. Do you ever actually use it? Yes. I See, I travel with it all the time just because I want to have it there. I don't get to play it as much, but I just love having the idea of having all my old games on there as well. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something about... First of all, I think you have to get acclimated to trying to use it periodically. You know what I mean? Because if if you default to your phone or something else like that, it's easy to kind of not instinctively go to it. But I just... If you look at the Switch, you think, of course, this should have been here all the time. Why would you not have a large enough screen to play games yeah. on? And then it's that is the console. Yeah. For me, it's so cool because you could dock it to a TV and be able to play it like normally, like yes. if you were at home. And to be able to do that in like a hotel experience, that's that's like A plus in my book. Do you play um, other games? Are you mostly multiplayer? I, I, I play... I play I, I'm not home enough. I only play games when I'm at home. And that's okay. not a lot. So what I try to keep days? up... Mm, these days, you know, I try to finish Shenmue 3 just came out, right? Okay. So that's a, a a sequel to a very old game. That was the original Shenmue was on Dreamcast, right? Correct. So Shenmue 1, Shenmue 2 was on Dreamcast and also on the original Xbox. And then Shenmue 3, 18 years later or whatever, however long it's yeah. been, came out on PS4. Uh, I tried playing it and uh, I'm still trying to play it. I just haven't been home. I'm trying to get through yeah. it. <laughs> um, I try to play RPGs when I can. Uh, I love Japanese RPGs. I'm a, Chrono Trigger is like my favorite game of all time. I love like the old dude, Final Fantasy game games. So good, dude. it is so good, right? For those that haven't, because I know there's younger people listening to this, but like that was the that was the first time travel video game. Yeah, and time travel is such a I, I'm, I'm interesting a concept. Fan. Yeah, I'm a big fan of time travel uh, storytelling yeah. in general, and there's so many interesting. Like I'm, I know I don't think it was a big hit, but I was a big fan of Looper when that just came out. I'm, dude, uh, Looper was great. It was great. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm fan of Terminator. All, all this stuff. Uh, not the new ones as much, but you know, the, the, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, I love that. Um, and how uh, different franchises will treat the the concept or the the system of time travel because yeah, there's always has rules. Different t- yeah. yeah, yeah. There's always different rules. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't you, know if you saw that Van Damme movie Time Cop where two matter can't yeah, touch the same yeah, matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that was right. crazy. <laughs> time Cop, man. Oh man, and Van Damme's always doing the splits, and like yep. they have to make sure he's doing the splits in every movie. Um. Yeah, so do you play a Western RPGs at all? Like, are you a Fallout fan of like the old Fallout games? I haven't or? played the new ones. I mean, everyone tells me I should get kind of get back into it. I mean, the last really Western RPG I played is probably Jade Empire, okay, uh, and okay. and Knights of the Old Republic, but the Bioware stuff. So yeah, I, yeah. I I like a lot of the old stuff. But man, I really I try to play at least one RPG a year. I I think the closest to like a long game that I can like really dedicate myself to is the Yakuza series. I love Japan I've, a lot. Yeah, and uh, those games are crack to me i love really? those games yeah i was uh i was really into japanese rpgs when i was younger and it, it's kind of tapered off for me a little bit i think I, for a lot of people i think that like when they were making jrpgs they actually had the formula right and then they started making the level up system too complicated <laughs> and i'm like no i'm not interested in this yeah. like for me i just want to kind of commute through your story and you know and, and make some simple decisions but yeah 
That's the great thing about a lot of the old games. You could actually do it in like, you know, bite-sized chunks. But now you have to like, okay, wait, let me pull out my, my rule book. What do I have to do here and there? Yeah, yeah. Or some of these games, like you'll have a phone. Like people can email you in the game. You know what I mean? I'm yeah, like, oh, that's fuck. too creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, get emails like in GTA, all day like, for like, like, like my cousin's texting me to go bowling. I'm like, oh, fuck this. I have to deal with this in real life. I don't want to do this in the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. Games are weird nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you said you're a big fan of Japanese culture. Did you grow up watching anime? Yeah, I watch a lot, uh, a lot of anime. I mean, not so much now. I try to read manga more often just because yeah. I could go at my own pace. But just Japanese culture in general, I love. I mean, I'm here like every single month, like I mentioned. Um, and I just, I, I'm a fan of how, I guess I'm a fan of history. I guess nostalgia. Sure. And yeah. I, I love shopping for old toys and old video games. I collect retro games. Yeah. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of the, the past, I guess. I saw um, on your Instagram, you put Panzer Dragoon Saga. Yeah. Did you play that game? I played the game way back in the day. Actually, I didn't own it. So yeah, I, I didn't yeah. own it until That's this year. That's a very rare game. It is. That's it's the, very rare. The last published and probably lowest print run for Sega Saturn games. So. Yeah, yeah. It's a masterpiece, too. It's absolutely incredible. It's great. I played it on emulator. It's a Sega Saturn game. So for people listening, this is like, first of all, you you, you know, if you make the wrong game, or you make the right game on the wrong console, it's like a dead language. Like you just, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to get this anywhere. And also, I heard they lost the source code for that game, so there's no, no. way they could port it. Or, or like, well, they'd have to recreate it, right? There's yeah. no way they can just port it. That's why we haven't seen it on PC. We haven't seen it on Steam. But yeah. thank God they're uh, recreating the original Panzer Dragoon. At least, hopefully, that'll create a wave where yeah, I've, been, you know, I've been a fan of that franchise growing up but Panzer Dragoon Saga was just an excellent I don't know if it holds up now because I beat it when I was in college which so that was maybe like I that, that's actually been ago. a debate in the retro community for the long the longest time and especially recently is like it was great back then but it's probably not great now I've had this when I try to play Goldeneye oh where it's like oh one analog stick <laughs> yeah and like it's a slideshow I mean the, the, yeah. the frames per second are so bad that it's it's jarring. Like, it's yeah. actually just distracting from the the game where there's other games. You know, Mario Mario 3, you can just play that right now, and it's it's fine. I think that's a byproduct of uh, 3D games coming into They don't age well. They don't age well. At least not the early ones, right? Yeah. But, I mean, that's why we see more and more of those games being remastered, right? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, good times. So, um, what's next for you? What's next for me? So, yeah. uh, currently working on a lot of big business deals to kind of help help uh evolve uh the the space within fighting games yeah so uh i can't really say what it's going to be but a lot of people will hear about it pretty soon okay uh it's one of the things that i i for me my methodology and like what i like to work on is making sure that at least for fighting games the people that are working within it are the people that have been working within it whether as a fan uh, as a volunteer at events, but the guys that are actually passionate about it. I want to yeah. make sure that these guys have opportunities to be able to work and build a career out of it. Yeah. So my team, the guys that I work with, are all people I grew up playing video games with. Yeah. And I want to be able to help bring in more people that have the kind of the, the like mind. I mean, I don't want to bring in suits from like some company that doesn't care, really yeah, care. Yeah. And it's that's always that's so weird when you're working with people. Oh, and yeah. you're like, oh, you don't even like. Do you, you play like, this? You don't like video games? Yeah. Why are you here? Like this is they're here for a paycheck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so might as well give the paycheck to people that actually care and yeah. are passionate about it. That could really, when it's time to grow and evolve something, they can actually put in some real input. Yeah. So that's one of the things I'm working on. I'm actually, so I'm gonna go to like another tangent now. I'm working on a dream project of mine this year. I think this year I've been blessed by so many opportunities, or this past year, that uh, I'm actually working on something that I never thought I would be able to. to 
to conceive, I guess. Yeah. And uh, it has something to do with something that uh, I'm really into, whether it's video games or sneakers or um, or just, you know, like arcade sticks. I'm trying to marry all this stuff into one. So oh, I got to cool. figure out how I'm going to do that. But it's definitely you lifestyle. You tell me when we're done recording this. It's so definitely I know lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm working on stuff and trying to bring in, again, new eyes to the community. That's really cool, man. Um, oh, now I'm excited to end this podcast and yeah. ask you. Um, so I don't normally ask this question when I'm interviewing people, but I feel like you're a guy who's done so many different things. Uh, I view you as a very authentic person and, and somebody who really, you, you're doing exactly what you like to do. How does somebody get into a position like yours? If you had to recommend the people that want to work in esports or gaming? I would say you really have to like it first. First and foremost, yeah. if you don't have a passion for stuff within games like or like let's say if you if you really like i'm going to use this example if you really like creating things and for example my example was i really love you know controllers and making arcade sticks and stuff like that if you really love that stuff you have to learn it you have to learn it to the best of your ability you want to become an expert in your field and you want to be able to not only be an expert but let people know you're an expert yeah you have to know how to i guess you have to know how to sell your shit and if you can't do that then you can't complain that you're not getting a job in the industry. You have right. to be able to sell your shit. And I think that's the most important. Obviously, luck is going to come into play. You have to know people. You have to know the right person or the right people to talk to. But if you don't know your shit, who cares about who you know, right? Yeah. yeah. So first and foremost, make sure you know your shit. Make sure you are passionate and you actually like it. I mean, people can tell whether or not you're just, you know, doing things to to, to benefit for yourself or if you're doing things because you love it, right? Yeah. So I, 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 that's like really the only advice I have. I mean, there, like you said, and like we discussed earlier, there is no set path. There is no guidebook for this kind of things. Right. Uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll hustle people down the line, and we'll make a fake guidebook that pe- that's not going to work for people. Who knows? <laughs> maybe that, that's going to be a new strategy guide. <laughs> make sure you guys look out for that in twenty thirty. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there, there. The only thing I can say is like, if you're into gaming and you want to pursue a career in it, I hope you love it. If you don't, then you're probably in the wrong business. Yeah. Be a doctor or whatever. <laughs> Listen, man, thank you for doing this interview. Yeah, um, no problem. The, the whole the tournament's done now, right? Or it's wrapping it up? It should be done. It should right. be done pretty soon, but I, I was glad I was able to catch up with you. I know yeah. we've been exchanging messages for the yeah, longest yeah. time, and I know you always appreciate fighting games, so thank you for always, you know, just being there. I mean, your influence goes a long way. I oh, mean, thank you, you, man. You are an international, like, gaming icon, right? Oh, I don't know about that, but thank yeah, you. I, I, well, international for sure. <laughs> but you are a gaming icon to me. I mean, when I first met you, you were... At the Mad Cats booth at an MLG event. An MLG, yeah, yeah. Like I, th- I played a uh, Potato Head at Street Fighter. You were playing Street Fighter, and I was yeah. like, "These guys play Street Fighter," and I was like, "Okay, cool. They're they're one of us. They like." Dude, they I still like have the stick games. you gave me, man. Oh wow, I still have that in my house, man. Awesome. That's yeah, a good dude. feel. <laughs> dude. All right, let's wrap this up. Um, thanks again for doing this. We just go to an after. We just talk for uh, for Patreon. It's like goes out to hundred people, but for Patreon supporters. So. Oh, cool. Um, all right. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, again, if you enjoyed this episode, patreon.com forward slash Tasis Podcast. Your support is appreciated. We will probably be dropping another episode in a week. And from there, we will be delivering uh, post-apocalypse episodes. So I'll be talking to people and we'll be talking more about uh, you know the pandemic and how this has affected the industry. I really thought that each of these episodes I was doing would be pretty timeless and wouldn't have to be so time sensitive. But um, I mean, this is basically the biggest thing that's happened in our lives. So uh, I'm lucky in one sense that I was able to get a bunch of these before global travel was shut down. Since we're not having many people go in and out of Seoul, I don't have a lot of new subjects. But at the same time, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard for me to put these out. 
knowing that a lot of you guys probably are, have coronavirus on your mind and want to hear conversations about that. But that's coming. Of course, we can't waste the episodes either. Uh, and the next one that we have coming out, I think, is my favorite out of all the interviews I did at the tournament. So I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Anyways, stay safe, guys. Wash your hands. I love you. Bye-bye. Special thanks to our top supporters on Patreon, Seth N., Rohit Somebody, John Kernicki, and Charlie Sheever.